I'll stick with King James Bible-believing preachers. Amen. So, because of that, we say, verse 19, the Bible says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Now, here's the other thing that's necessary. Where until you do well that you take heed. You want to understand things about the future, you've got to be obedient to the Lord. If you're not willing to be obedient to the Lord as far as being a Christian, you're going to have a hard time understanding things. Uh, Brother Mike said it very aptly years ago, and, and I listened to him say it on tape probably about a couple of months ago. And he said, a lot of people are running around trying to figure out things about the tribulation and the second advent, and yet they're not being a witness every day. They're not reading their Bible every day. They're not praying every day. And you want to understand all this other stuff when you're not even being obedient in the little things. Why would God entrust you with any of that truth? What you going to do with it? I'll tell you what you're going to do with it. Nothing. Amen. That's right. That's true. You can say amen. It'll be okay. That's true. And I, I want to understand. And I'm not. Uh, I wish I could say that I was great at all those things that I just mentioned, but I, I come short, I fall short, but it's still no excuse. That's right, that's right. So, so it requires obedience. Rare until you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. It's a light that shines. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Well, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about prophecy. And then he says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures is of any private interpretation. Now, that's a very important statement. In other words, uh, nobody has a monopoly. I've really, let me make sure I say this very well. I think it's uh, pretty clear to understand that if you want to understand things in the scripture, somebody has to guide you. I don't think we have any problem with that. Uh, Philip walked up on an Ethiopian eunuch and he said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? That's a very true statement. However, that did not mean that Philip was the only guy that understood what he was trying to explain to that Ethiopian eunuch. And when somebody comes on the scene and says, I've seen something that nobody else has ever seen before, it's doubtful. It's just doubtful. I don't, I don't doubt uh, progressive revelation as far as God being able to take things out of the Scripture and show people things as we go through the church age. I don't doubt that. But I also am very skeptical when somebody steps forward and says, I have a monopoly on the truth or takes that attitude. I, I have access to the truth, and if you want the truth, you've got to come to me. Last time I checked, that was the Holy Ghost. Amen. You want to understand the truth, you've got to get in touch with the Holy Spirit, not with any particular church. That's one of the reasons that we're against the Roman Catholic Church. Amen. Amen. You say, you don't like Roman Catholic people? No, I want to see them saved. But as far as the, as far as the clergy is concerned, as far as the system of organized religion, I'm again it, 100%. You say, why? Because their doctrine is so messed up. And one of the things that they have messed up is they believe that you can't understand the Scripture unless the Roman Catholic Church explains that to you. And that goes in direct opposition to John chapter 14. And when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He, not your church, He will guide you. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. He'll bring to your remembrance all things that I've said unto you. It's the Holy Ghost. It's not your church. Amen. 
Anyways, verse 21, for prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You got to be holy. You need to be holy. All right, Revelation 1, verse 3. Revelation 1, verse 3, and then we're going to go to 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 2. Revelation 1, verse 3. Let's see if we can pick up the pace a little bit. Revelation 1, verse 3, the Bible said, Blessed is he that readeth. And they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. Blessed is he that readeth. Read your Bible. We had somebody come in here several months ago and I'm just going to bring it up. And I, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm not trying to be unkind. But I'm just going to say it. We had somebody come in here a while back and tried to correct me on some issues as far as prophecy is concerned and I could clearly see that they were a little bit confused in their mind and they couldn't tell some things and you say what was that from not reading your Bible that's all it was from honestly listen when you open your Bible I have a Schofield reference Bible here this morning I typically like Bibles without any kind of notes just the text of the scripture but there are notes in here by a man named C.I. Schofield those notes are not part of the scripture. Those were put in by a man named C.I. Schofield and, and the board of editors uh, of that is, controls all this stuff. That is not scripture. They might be right. They might be wrong. You have to check that stuff out with the scripture. And when somebody opens their Bible and says, well, see, look right here. See, see at the end of the verse, there's a little verse reference there. And then you correct them and say, yeah, but that's not, a, that's not part of the scripture. That was added by whoever printed your Bible. And people get upset about that. Listen, you get upset about this all you want to, but all that is is evidence that you are not even familiar enough with your Bible to know what's actually the scripture in your particular printed Bible, to know what is, your, what is particular scripture and what isn't. So don't, don't get all huffy about things. Just read your Bible. Amen. Just read your Bible. Let me tell you something about prophecy. And I'm not trying to start a series on prophecy. I'm just, this was on my mind and I've been praying about when to do this and I felt like today was a good day. Uh, so uh, when it comes to prophecy, what a lot of people do is they spend more time in commentaries. They spend more time in listening to preachers preach about what the Bible says than they actually do reading what the Bible says. It's like if you want to go understand what George Washington thought about things, you have two options. You can either go read biographies about George Washington. Some of those biographies will be really good. Some of them will be extremely sorry. Or you could just pick up his journals and you could read what he wrote. If you want to understand what John Adams thought about things, I have two books in my office, one written by David McCullough on John Adams. It's a good book. It's a good biography. But nobody knew what John Adams thought like John Adams did. And so I have another book in my office that are the political writings. It's a compilation of the political writings of John Adams. It's a hard read. Some of those things are very hard to get your mind wrapped around. But you see the difference? Well, people, I want to understand what's going to take place in the future. Well, I can tell you this. You're not going to understand if you don't read the Bible. And listen, you do what you want to do. But reading two and three pages a day is not going to cut it. 
If you've got an urgency to really want to know, God, I want to understand, then you need to pick up the pace some. Amen. All right, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, and this is probably one of the most important aspects of understanding things in the future. And I, I really hope you get a hold of this this morning. You probably already know, but let me just refresh your memory. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and look here in verse 9. The Bible says, But as it is written, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. We've been through this teaching through 1 Corinthians chapter 2, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here. Verse 11, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? You know the things that relate to men because you have the spirit of man. We, I think we spent some time on that even last Sunday, if I remember correctly. Well, the same way you know the things of the spirit of, you know the things of God because when you got saved, you received the Spirit of God. You're able to understand those things. You didn't get all of the knowledge that God has the day that you got saved, but what you did get was that Spirit that is able to take God's words and explain the truth that are, that's in those things. You got the, that same Spirit the day that you trusted Christ as your Savior. Understandable, I think. Look here in verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Not comparing spiritual things with carnal things. So you're not going to be able to figure out things that relate to prophecy by looking at CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, or any conservative news network, you're not going to be able to figure out things about prophecy looking at banks. What about the national economy? What difference does it make? Oh, but this means something. Yet, yeah, it means that people don't know what they're doing. Listen, I'm not, all I'm trying to say this morning is that if you try to interpret God's book by looking at carnal things, you're going to have a very difficult time because they don't mix. This, what you have sitting in front of you this morning is a spiritual book. You say, oh, no, Brother Nathan, this is a physical book. I can hold it. I understand, but the truth that's in it, the truth that's in the pages, it's spiritual. And the mistake that a lot of people make is they approach this book with a carnal mindset, having lived a carnal life for the last 40 years and unwilling to conform their life to being a spiritual life, oh, see, you're going to have a hard time understanding those things. Listen, if you take uh, 15 pages from a newspaper and try to pant, uh, cram it into one page of your Bible, you're not going to get it. You'll get those 15 pages that are in the newspaper. See, those things are not going to match. They are not going to tie up. They're just not going to tie up. You say, well, how do I figure out things that are, that are coming in the future, you have to figure it out the same way that you figured things out that took place in the past. They're spiritual things. They're spiritual things. They're spiritual things. And unfortunately, I think that bores a lot of people. And all I can do is encourage you and say, listen, just discipline yourself and get to the frame of mind to where it doesn't bore you and take an interest in spiritual things. 
All right, so I think that's a good enough introduction. We're halfway through the hour. Let's look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, you look in, You go ahead and go to, the, to, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll, we'll look at some other places. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture, so I hope you turn fast with me. But here on the chart, let me just point this out again. What you have is you have the, uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here on the chart, we have what this artist, and this is just an artist's rendition. This is an artist's interpretation of what he sees in the Scripture. <laughs> just so happens to be it is what the Scripture teaches. But I want you to see it in the Scripture. So let me just point some things out for simplicity's sake. Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the rapture, and this is what we call the second advent. Now here's, here's the trouble that we run into when we start talking about the second coming of Christ. Historically, for the, about the last, oh man, I'd say 100 years, uh, let, let me not even go that far. Let me just say in my childhood, which I'm not a very old fellow. I'm 34 years old, so that's not very long. 88 was when I was born. Make some of you folks feel real old. Sorry. But uh, I know when I was a kid, when I heard preachers preaching about the second coming, that was all that they would say when they were preaching a sermon. Now, when somebody was teaching about it, it was a little bit different. My dad taught about this stuff. But when I heard somebody preaching about the second coming, that is all they would say. And when somebody would preach, it wasn't often, and now you don't ever hear anybody preach on that stuff, but when they preached, a lot of times when you'd listen, what you'd find out is that they would either be talking about the rapture or they would be talking about the second advent. But they'd use the term second coming of Christ to apply to both. And so what that does, especially if you've got people sitting in the congregation who don't really understand, what it does is it, it creates this confusion. Well, these two things must be the same then. They are not. That's what, we want to see. That's what I want to try and show you from the Scripture this morning. They are separated by at least, perhaps more, they're separated by at least a period of seven years. But the problem further is complicated that there are passages in the Scripture that apply to the second advent, and they do not apply to the rapture. And there are passages that apply to the rapture, and they do not apply to the second advent. And when you start to mix those things together, what you'll end up with is something like a post-trib rapture. Post meaning after. Pre-tribulation rapture, that's before the tribulation. Just get some terms straightened out in your mind. But you'll have a belief in a post-tribulation rapture. Oh, then I guess the church is going through the tribulation, which it's not. It can't, and I mean, we don't have time to cover that today. But you, when somebody says second coming, if somebody doesn't have it clear in their mind that the, that the second advent and the rapture are not the same, boy, it creates all kinds of confusion. So there's a man by the name of Clarence Larkin, who, again, I do not agree with everything that he teaches, but... The way that Clarence Larkin handled it is he said, well, the second coming of Christ has two stages. I don't recommend explaining it this way, but I just want to let you know what's out there. He says the second coming of Christ is in two stages. There is the rapture. That's the first part of the second advent. And then he says, then there is the revelation, the revealing. And that's the second advent, the actual second advent. I would rather just to be crystal clear, just say, here's the rapture. Here's the second advent, just so that there's no confusion. But you should know that when a man stands up and says, Jesus is coming again, 
And he begins to preach a sermon. Hey, the Lord is coming back. I'm talking to those of you that are saved this morning. When he preaches that way, you need to go ahead and ask yourself in your mind, what's he talking about, the rapture or the second advent? Because they're not the same. Look here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and look in verse uh, 13. Paul said, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. That's people that are dead. Uh, John chapter 11, Jesus Christ is talking to his disciples and he says, hey, we need to go see Lazarus. He's sleeping. And they said, well, hey, we heard that he's sick. If he's sleeping, he'll do well. The Bible said that Jesus plainly said to his disciples, Lazarus is dead. That's what he's talking about. I'd not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. When we put somebody in the ground, we don't sorrow like the rest of the world does because we have hope. We have hope that we're going to see them again. We have hope that they're going to come up in the future. Look here in verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we do believe that, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. That's people that are saved, that have been buried. Verse 15, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. We're not going to hold them back. We're not going to keep them back. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. This is a very important passage. This is, I think it's clear to you that it's talking about the rapture of the church. This is not talking about the second advent. Let me point out some things that are different uh, between the two using this passage. Uh, first of all, he says right here in verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together where? With them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So when the Lord comes back at the rapture, he doesn't land on earth. He descends in the clouds, he descends in the air, and he stands there and he calls people up. You look, hold your place very quickly, turn over the book of John. Well, let, let me not go there. Let's not go there. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Turn over to Zechariah. Let's go ahead and show you the, the other option. Zechariah, if I get this all messed up, boy, we'll, we'll waste a bunch of time. I don't want to do that. Try and give this to you as orderly as I can. Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah is a minor prophet towards the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah 14. Zechariah 14, what we're going to read is couple of verses relating to the second advent. So you saw, I think you can see very clearly, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 17, when the Lord comes back at the rapture, we meet the Lord in the air. Dead people, resurrected, called out. People that are still living, no, no need for a resurrection, but mortality is swallowed up of immortality. Death is swallowed up of life. We go up. There's a calling out. There's a rapture. It's all in the air. Zechariah 14, verse uh, 3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. His and his feet, verse 4, shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives 
which is before Jerusalem on the east. Is that in the air or is that on the earth? It's on the earth. Okay, number two, look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's the first one. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's look at the second one. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, and then you can get Revelation chapter 1 and the other. Revelation chapter 1 and the other. 1 Corinthians 15 and look in verse 51. All right, he said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Not all of us are going to die, but we all, living or dead, we all are going to be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Uh, changed. So, first of all, verse 51, he said, Behold, I show you a mystery. The rapture of the church is a mystery. It's not something that is easily understood. It's not something that is understood by the entire world. It is a mystery. Uh, those mysteries, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 4, you can... You can go back and look very quickly, or you can just write the reference down. But 1 Corinthians 4 says, verse 1, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. The mysteries of God are not given to the entire world. They're given to the church. They belong to the church. And our responsibility with those mysteries is to be good stewards of those things. Verse 2, Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So when he talks about the rapture of the church, which is 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when he talks about those things, those are things that are given to the church. It's not given to the world. So when you begin to talk about the rapture of the church to lost folks, they're going to look at you with a big question mark on their face because it's not given to them. You understand that? Now, he says right verse 52, he says, In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the rate at which the rapture takes place is mind-baffling. It's going gonna, it's gonna to blow you away when it takes place. In a moment, in the twinkling, that's not blinking your eye. You know, somebody has a little twinkle in their eye. That's, that's quick. That's fast. Okay, look here in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. That was the rapture. Here's second advent. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds. Now, Paul's right there. First Thessalonians 4, we read, he comes in the clouds. He's in the air. Well, when he comes at the second advent, behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. So this Revelation chapter 1 is not a revelation to just the church. It is a revelation to the entire world. When the Lord comes back at the second advent, every eye shall see him. I'm not talking this morning yet about where those things are placed. I'm just trying to get you to see that they're not the same. Now listen, at the first advent, let me just say this right quick. At the first advent, the Lord was shown personally, privately first to believers only. Jesus was born a little baby in a manger. You know who was there? Mary, Joseph, wise men, shepherds. 
Those are the people that saw him. 30 years later, he had a public revealing. Goes down to the Jordan River. John baptizes him. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove on him. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. There's a public revelation. That's right here. That's the first advent. Why would the second advent be any different? The second advent, before he comes up and there's a public revealing, there's going to be a personal, private appearing to believers only. When the Lord Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, who did he appear to? The whole world? No. Believers only. Now, here's something else to take into consideration. Christ's life right here. About 400 years before Christ was born and lived and died, went to Calvary, buried, rose again, ascended back up into heaven. About 400 years before that, you know what there is? About 400 years of silence. No word from God. The last word from God was Malachi. Old Testament. <clears throat> Here's, that was before the first advent. Second advent. You know what there's going to be before the second advent comes? About 400 years of silence. You say, where do you see that? When was your Bible put out? A.V. 1611. 2011 was 400 years. So why would it be? You see how that stuff just, it, the Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes, the thing that hath been shall be. Everything rolls in cycles. So, makes sense. It, at least it makes sense to me. Look back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look back in verse 16. And then you can grab John chapter 10. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. The Bible says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. Uh, book of Jude, I believe it is, says that that's Michael. He says that the archangel is Michael. But he says, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. At the rapture, you know who's doing the gathering of the church? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, look over in the book of John. Let's read a little something right here. Look in John chapter 10 and look in verse 3. The Bible said, To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. Now, he's talking about the good shepherd. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. Who's the sheep? We are. The church is the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. I'll just let your imagination run wild there for just a second. If you was with us a couple of years ago, I don't know how long ago it's been, but there, we went through a study to where we looked at the fact that there's a great big body of water somewhere out there beyond the starry blue that would make the Atlantic, Indian, Pacific, Antarctic Ocean look like a drop in a bucket. You say, what's on the other side of that body of water? The throne of God. 
So in order for the Lord to come get us, there's a gate that has to be opened. He descends down through that gate, and he comes down, and he gets in the air. And you know what he does? Somehow he calls out his sheep one by one by name. John chapter 4, the Bible said that John heard a voice. He said, I heard a voice. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I heard a voice saying unto me, come up hither. And so it's a very good possibility that the day that the rapture takes place, what you're going to hear is so-and-so come up hither. And immediately I was in the throne room, and he begins to describe what was in there. You say, what's going on? The good shepherd came down. The good shepherd comes down, calls his sheep by voice. He calls his sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4, when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. See, it wouldn't do any good for the Lord. It wouldn't do any good for Jesus Christ to call the name of somebody that's never been born again because they don't recognize his voice. There it is. You just, you're looking at it. All right, by contrast, look in Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Matthew 24 and look in verse 29. All right, Matthew 24, verse 39, or 29. The Bible says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, Shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. There's references to that in the book of Joel and the book of Revelation. Moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. Well, that's what we was talking about in Revelation 1 verse 7. Behold, every eye shall see it. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now watch. He shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So rapture, Jesus Christ is the one who does the gathering. Second advent, Jesus Christ commissions some angels, and they go out and do the gathering. They're not the same. You say, well, what about the elect? Well, the elect is not talking about the body of Christ. The elect in the Old Testament always had reference to the children of Israel. Different study for a different time, but just trying to get you to see what we're on point this morning. Look back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Grab 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Thessalonians 2, and Titus 2. If you can remember all that, you need a couple of more hands, don't you? First Thessalonians 4, First Thessalonians 2, and Titus 2. I'll give you a second until I hear pages slow down. All right, First Thessalonians chapter 4, and look in verse 18. See what he says? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The rapture is supposed to be a thing of comfort. Look in chapter 2, verse 19. <clears throat> For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Well, see, here he talks about the coming of the Lord, and he talks about it as a time of rejoicing. See that? 
Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 and look in verse look in verse 13. We won't spend a whole lot of time. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Do you see the trend? When we're talking about what we're talking about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it's wonderful. It's a time of rejoicing. It's a time, it's a blessed hope. It's something that is supposed to be a source of comfort to me and you. I comfort you with the fact that the rapture is going to take place. You comfort me with the fact that the rapture is going to take place. Okay, by contrast, look in Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5. And Amos chapter 5, and you can get 1 Thessalonians 5 in the other hand. Amos chapter 5 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Amos chapter 5, and look in verse 18. He says, Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. Day of the Lord is talking about the second advent. That's always what the day of the Lord refers to. And so when he's talking to the children of Israel here, the book of Amos, he's speaking through his prophet Amos. He says, the day of the Lord is not something to be anticipated. He said, you guys are hollering about the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. He said, when it comes, you're not going to enjoy it. It's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. He said, it's a day of darkness. It doesn't sound, that doesn't sound like, uh, a day of rejoicing. It doesn't sound like something that Israel could comfort themselves with. It doesn't sound like something that is supposed to be a time of rejoicing. It sounds bad. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and look in verse 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now you got to pay attention when you get in here. Verse 1, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now, here's one thing that's going to mess you up. A lot of well-meaning preachers, a lot of preachers that I like to listen to, and I love them, they will make 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 refer to the rapture, and it does not. It refers to the second advent. You say, how do you know? Well, first of all, he says, yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. That's second advent reference. Look at what else he says. So cometh as a thief in the night, verse 3, for when they shall, shall say, when they shall say, not when we shall say, but when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. So that's a bad situation. Have you ever seen a woman in labor? I don't have to say anything else. <laughs> And then when you get to Jeremiah chapter 30, he talks about, he says, what is this that I see every man with his hands upon his loins as a woman in labor pains? Men are going to be acting like they're having childbirth. That's how bad the day of the Lord is. Well, the Lord didn't think too much of you ladies, I guess, letting y'all have children. But we'll pray for you. We appreciate y'all bearing our children. Hallelujah. God bless you. But you see that? Verse 4, but ye, brethren... 
are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. See, that, what he's talking about in 1 Thessalonians 5 is there's some people that the day of the Lord's going to surprise. You say, who is it? The people that's not looking for him to come. It's the world. They're, they're, they're going to be busy marrying and giving in marriage, eating and drinking, having a high old time just as it was in the days of Noah. But see, you're not in darkness that that day should overtake you as the thief. Why? You're all children of the light and children of the day. We're not of the night nor the darkness. And that's why he tells you in Ephesians chapter 5, he said, hey, you're not children of darkness. Well, act like it. Act like you're children of the light. Awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. That's what he says in Ephesians chapter 5. All right, look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. You'd think some of these people down at the church at Thessalonica was really messed up about this stuff. Paul certainly has to talk a lot to them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9. He says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So the thing that the church is to be looking for, church down at Thessalonica is who he's talking to, the thing that the church is to be looking for is for his son. Well, look in Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, he says there in uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, he said, He's delivered us from the wrath to come. Well, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, look at what he says. He says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed, upon him, uh, followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp uh, sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he, should, he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. At the rapture, he coming to get you and save you from that wrath at the rapture. But at the second advent, he's coming to deliver it. He's not coming to save nobody. He's coming to stomp them out. There's another place in the book of Revelation. You can turn over to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6, uh, there's another place in the book of Revelation where it talks about when the Lord comes back at the battle of Armageddon. He, he's going to stomp out the vineyard and the blood is going to, Go up to the horse's bridles. That's a lot of people to be stomping on. Absolutely. Look in Revelation chapter 6. Again, this is talking about the second advent. He said, verse 12, And I beheld when, there, when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. The stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. The heaven departed as a scroll when it's rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. That is a reference to Matthew 24. That's what we're looking at. The kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come. 
who shall be able to stand. Now listen, you've got a situation in Revelation chapter 6 that whatever event it's talking about, it's a day of wrath and people are running to get away from the one who's sitting on the throne. They are running to get away from this individual because it's a bad time. But then you've got a situation, you've got another passage to where it talks about, hey, when the Lord comes back, I'm trying to get on, I'm trying to approach it from the aspect of looking at these two things and saying they're the same. One place says it's bad. One place says it's a time of wrath. One place says it's a time when the mighty men and the chief men and the kings, they're going to run and hide themselves. They're going to cry out to the mountains and say, hey, cover us from the face of him that sits on the throne. And then there's another passage that says it's wonderful. It's a comfort. It's a wonderful time, man. You can comfort it. It's going to be a time of rejoicing. Man, you're going to have a hard time. You're going to have a hard time making those two situations the same thing. Because it says, verse 17, you say, well, you know, you get to a situation to where you say, well, those two things could be the same. Somebody might say, well, those two things could be the same. It just depends on what side you're on. Well, he says in Revelation chapter 6, verse 17, for the great day. It's not just an event. It's a day. It's a time. So when you hit Revelation chapter 6, verse 17, you're talking about a day. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians 15, it's a different time. They're not the same day. It's not the same, not the same place. All right, look here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Boy, we timed this just about right. Praise the Lord. Look in 1 Thessalonians 4 and look in verse and look, grab uh, Matthew 24 in the other hand. First Thessalonians four and look and Matthew twenty four. When I saw this, this really put a lot of things together in my own mind, this point that I'm gonna try and make to you right now. This really put a lot of things together in my own mind. Now I'm gonna read it again. We've done read it about five times, but that's okay. Maybe you'll have it memorized by the time we leave. First Thessalonians four verse sixteen. The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. The dead in Christ shall rise first. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Who's that? Righteous people or wicked people? You say, Oh, those are wicked people. No, they're righteous people. You you might be living like a slouch right now, but as far as God sees you, you're righteous. That's, that's your standing in Christ. Verse 17, then we which are alive, who is that, everybody on the earth? or No, it's the people in Christ. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So here's what you got at the rapture. At the rapture, righteous people are taken out. Who's left behind? Wicked people, right? Matthew 24. Matthew 24 and look in verse 36. Pay attention. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, that's Noah, you know who that is, little ark, put all the animals on the ark. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking 
marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now watch, right here. Here's the flood. On, from, here, uh, from here to here, you've got a world right here. And when I, I'm not talking about an earth. I'm not talking about a terrestrial ball. You've got a way that things are operating right here. God looks at it in the book of Genesis and says, I'm tired of it. I'm going to wipe them all out. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Praise God. He got three boys. They got wives. He said, hey, I've seen you righteous before me in this whole world. He said, you build you a little ark. It wasn't a little ark. It was a large ark. And he said, you build you an ark, pitch it within, without, with pitch. He said, you're going to gather all these animals. He said, you're, you, your wife, your children, and their wives, you're going to get on this ark. And basically, they got on that ark, and they came out on the other side into a new world. Now, when you get on this side, Noah's blended in with all these people, is he not? Now, when the flood comes, do you want to be left or do you want to be taken away? Answer, you want to be left. You want to be left so that you can go into the new world. Do you understand that? Say this if you don't understand. Okay, nobody's got enough guts to say I don't understand. And it's okay. I, I'm not trying to embarrass you. I really want you to understand that. The thing that you want. If you're in Noah's day, is the thing that you want is you don't want to be taken. Let me show you. I'm going to show you why it makes a difference. Verse 40. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the, other sh the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. So well-meaning preachers will quote Matthew 24 verse 40 through 42 and say that's the rapture and it is not the rapture i don't have a problem with somebody quoting it and apply it to the rapture so long as you understand it is not the rapture here's two ladies at the mill here's two ladies at the mill one is taken away you say what does that mean she doesn't go into the millennial kingdom. Two fellas are in one bed. One is taken away. What does that mean for the guy who's taken away? He doesn't get into the millennial kingdom. That's what you're talking about in Matthew 24. What you're talking about in Matthew 24 is the exact opposite of right here. Right here, the righteous get taken out and the wicked are left behind and God pours out his wrath. Right here, God pours out wrath in a concentrated form. Army of Ar uh, the Battle of Armageddon, the Lord sets up his millennial kingdom. And when he sets that thing up, all of the wicked people, he said, no, sir, you're not going into my kingdom. And so they're taken away. They're different. They're, they're, there's no way that the two events can be the same. And that's why he makes reference to this right here. That's why he makes reference to Noah's flood. Because here you've got a situation... I'll make this point and then we got to close. But here you've got this situation to where these boys get on the ark and when they get on the ark, they're able to get out on the other side. And if you don't get on the ark, if you're not in the place where you're supposed to be,
If you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, shoveling uh, elephant manure, I mean, whatever they were doing on the ark, then, buddy, you don't get out on the other side. You don't get into the new world. When you get into Second Peter, listen, when you get into Second Peter and you start reading, what you find out is that there was a world that was, a world that now is, and then there is a world that is to come. There's three of them. It's not an earth. We're not talking about the planet. We're talking about a world system. Love not the world and the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not. What's he talking about? The Grand Canyon? No. He's talking about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's a system. So when you get in 1 Peter, here's an old world. Here's the world that now is. And then here's the world that is to come. It's all in 2 Peter. We don't have time to hit it this morning. All right. Hope you took some notes, and if not, I can make a copy of mine. Lord, thank you, God, for your goodness to us this morning. I pray, God, things were clear. Lord, felt, well, not sure how it felt, but, Lord, I trust you, God. I know, Lord, that the entrance of thy word giveth light. Lord, it's your book. God, it's your truth. Lord, I, I know, God, Lord, that your word, God, can produce the light and the understanding, Lord, that it needs to produce. I pray, God, Lord, that this would have the effect, Lord, that I believe you want it to have, and that is the effect of settling, God, Lord. That's the effect of establishment, God, and pray that you'd bless your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, right up against the clock. Take about five minutes this morning. Five minutes. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, you can take it now. I appreciate it. Oops.